Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. So today's topic is around high-performing teams, which I'm sure is relevant to all leaders in the workplace um, at present and most definitely into the future. And we've moved from this focus around productivity to more of a focus around effectiveness and how we achieve effectiveness really requires a different way of thinking. Um, And so joining me for today's conversation is Bernard DeSmith, who is a renowned leadership coach, facilitator and trainer. And as a team coach, his expertise is in helping teams transition to become more collaborative, high-performing teams so they access more of their collective capacity and capability to achieve the greatest things possible. And when I think about the work that Bernard does and effectiveness, I see that they kind of come together really well. So thank you so much for joining us today, Bernard. I'm so excited about this conversation. Lovely, Shelley. Thank, thank you for having me. I'm uh, equally excited about where what we discover and talk about. So the, the shift, you know, I mentioned the shift between productivity and, and effectiveness. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of um, leaders are even now still highly productive, i.e. doing lots of things and making use of their time, whether it is the right use of their time and whether that actually progresses their team or their organisation over the long term. I think is questionable, hence the move to effectiveness. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's an interesting, you know, as you said it, effectiveness is, I understand it to be more holistic. You know, we talk about effectiveness in um, how I show up, um, you know, and I, I go into these distinctions in, in, in my, my recent book around way of being and way of doing. Productivity often is interpreted to mean how, much, how, how more efficient I am in what I do. Effectiveness is how much, how much more effective I am in how I show up with you in our, in our way of being together and therefore in our way of doing together. So I think effectiveness is is in spans the the whole person effect uh, productivity is is and this, this is not to be true but productivity is more seen in in one dimensional around efficiency um, often mm. do you see an alignment or a correlation with you know effectiveness and um, intentionality because it's one of the things that i associate it with is to be effective you've got to be intentional absolutely Absolutely, you know, and this is this is the one, one of the distinctions between you know management and, and and leadership. If we if we look to you know management, and and these distinctions are helpful until they're not. Um, if we look at management, is everything about the result? Leadership is everything about the relationship. Um, so so what are my intentions? in how I show up with you, you know, is my intention to 
look to work with you, to um, uh, collaborate with you, to exercise our, our collective capacity to achieve a common objective, or is my intention to serve my needs and ends? So intentionality is, dare I say, everything. You know, all we are is our intention. Well, I like that. Yeah. How um, intentional do you see leaders being at the current time? I, I, I think there, there is this, this mood of hysterical industriousness. And it's it's killing us. Um, the seduction to busyness. Um, yes. You know, whenever I ask anyone, any leader, you know, how are you going? Ninety nine percent of the time, so busy, so busy. And I then ask, what are you accomplishing? And invariably, I just get this blank stare. Um, you know, the it's almost with with not with pride that our diaries are just back to back. Um, the level of burnout, the level of stress, the level of exhaustion. I think we've lost the capacity to discern what is most important versus less important. And as a result, everything is now equally important. So, you know, we were talking about the distinctions a little earlier before we came online uh, with Michael Bungestana around the, the bad, the good and the great. And of the work we do, and we've lost capacity to to we've just been seduced into this 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 activity stream that um, when we step back and we ask ourselves, for what sake was I in that meeting? You know, how effective was my time spent? Um, mm. You know, so when when you stop and ask, you know, how much time is spent in meetings, and and and, and these will tell you probably 60 to 80 percent and then what percentage of that time was effectively spent it's probably closer to 20 30 percent mm. and we stop then to observe the implications of th that waste that's generated the cost the opportunity cost the direct cost um yeah so it's it's we talk about the COVID pandemic. I, I think there's a there's a greater pandemic, and this is the 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 seduction to this busyness, this hysterical industriousness that we're not able to channel uh, more mm. of our time, attention, energy to doing great work. Um, he's wasted doing bad work. Would you? Um, because I. I think people could go, well, the reason we're doing this is because of what's happened over the last two years. But I kind of would like to call that in that busyness did used to be a bit of a badge that leaders would, you know, hold on to and having these full calendars. And it, it actually did, was associated with um how successful you were and I don't know whether it was linked specifically to FaceTime but there seems to be this correlation once upon a time you did look to a leader and go when I'm really when I'm when I'm operating at my best is when I'm absolutely jam-packed and I'm working 14 hour days and mm. you know doing all of this kind of thing and so then they become the role model for the next generation of leaders is that why we've got to this point because there's been a flow of leaders that have been there and, and succeeded through busy it's it's actually earned them their next promotion 
Is, is that what, like, do you see something different than that? Yeah, I think they think they've succeeded in that, uh, in, through that way of working. I, I think this is, this is probably the gift of COVID is it's helped all of us reassess how life and work integrate and the, mm. this notion of balance well it's 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 a it's a misnomer there's there's no such thing as balance it's, it's how do we integrate and i think we have now greater autonomy and responsibility to to manage um how we integrate work and life and mm. for, for many and i don't think it's just the young i think it's all um all all generations of employees are saying wow i have the capacity to decide when and where and how i work and there's more to life than work so i i think you know we, we talk about the great resignation i think there's the great reset and mm. and 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 many of us are doing that um and mm. it's okay to say you know, it's interesting. I was in a meeting with a client in Melbourne, yes, uh, on Tuesday. And we were, he was attending virtually and the other members of the team were in the room. Now, I even felt myself shifting in this and thinking, wow, how amazing this. He was in his, in his home office. He then transferred the voice and video to his phone whilst he went to pick up his son at school didn't miss a beat didn't miss a beat um Dylan's son got into the car we all said hi to Dylan and on we went and wow how good is that yeah how good is mm. that? and no time wasted um highly productive Dylan got fetched dad did his thing and you know this is this is the wonder of the world that could be for for more of us. Mm. I, I think I just say invite we embrace this opportunity. But we can't sustain busy, and so you know your book, Team Better Together, talking about forming a high performing teams, isn't about busyness. No, it, it, it's 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 about succeeding together it's 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 not about the busyness and i think if you know i've, I've been preoccupied with what i call the the 80 60 20 paradox Shelley. and that is why is it that 80 percent of leaders claim to spend 60 percent of their time in teams yet only 20 percent of teams are consistently high performing collaborative functioning teams and you know why is that still the case when when teams are so powerful and and the predominant unit of organizational performance why is it that high performing teams are still so rare mm. so the book answers that yeah question. yeah you know it's interesting um I have a background in contact in contact centers. And so I started my corporate career on the phones mm. and as an, and I was an individual contributor and I was highly successful as the individual contributor. Mm. And um, through my own personal metrics, I absolutely blitzed them. And there was a couple of team metrics, which just annoyed the crap out of me mm. because I was like, I'm doing my thing. 
I'm now being, I'm also being punished because there's this team element. And so it makes me wonder. And then I think about this transition from individual contributor to leader, where you're then influencing others and, and many leaders like me get it completely wrong and try to force their team to just be mini individual contributors like I am. But when we've got rewards or we've got metrics that still align to the individual, which I think is important and not like, I can see how teams don't work. I can also see the attempt that is being made by creating an interdependency. So a, a team target or a team metric that requires us to all work together to achieve, but it's still in an individual capacity. So how do you navigate that? How do you get around that? Yeah, this is a wonderful, wonderful distinction you, you make, Shelley. Let's never forget teams comprise of individuals. Hmm. So, so there will always be an element of responsibility and accountability for what each individual um, has responsibility for. But, he, but here's the thing. Team, teams exist to achieve what no other entity can. So until we clear on what that is, and this is this distinction I make between a group and a team, yeah. where, and I'm not suggesting groups are bad and wrong and teams good and great. No, 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 no. It, it is what do we need to be? Because a group of leaders coming together, calling themselves a team is, is not a team. It cannot be a team because more typically groups of leaders work more independently of one another, not interdependently. So in the absence of understanding for what sake, what's the purpose for us forming and how, why have we become in, why have we come into existence as a team? What's that cause we serving? If we can't answer that, the risk is we're going to default to being a, a group of leaders who place greater emphasis and time and attention on, on achieving my individual objectives and less so, because that's what I'm rewarded for, to your point. Uh, and this is one of the greatest challenges we have and opportunities we have is, is how do we acknowledge the contribution individuals make to the collective success? And, and how do we recognize and reward that, 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 sees and encourages you know more people to to look to the team as 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 a means of achieving what no other entity can mm. i like that so there are potentially teams out there that don't need to be teams that could just be groups yeah, absolutely yeah and and think think about this you know um, an, an example, a, a, a lab of, of, of scientists doing their own research, one on cancer, you know, one looking at um, vaccines, uh, the other looking at um, uh, whatever they might be. They don't necessarily need to be a team. They can collaborate on research methodology. They may share findings that could be relevant. Mm. But they are highly effective and efficient working as a group of leaders, not needing to be a team. But when, when, when we come to achieve 
what none of us individually can achieve, then we start looking to what does this mean in how we come to team and for what sake are we teaming? And I, I come mm. back to this distinction that teams exist to achieve what no other entity can. Um, so, so for example, it could be um, this team has been formed to really transform and influence the experience of our clients or our customers. So customer experience might be the purpose for a team coming together mm. in that what I am doing as an individual contributor has an impact both upstream and downstream and that I don't necessarily have to be responsible for their roles, but I do need to be aware of and be able to work with. So would that be an example of where you'd have a good team? Yeah. Let me give you a practical example. And, and for good reason, I'm going to keep um, the, the identity of this organisation um, um, uh, I, I withhold that. This is a, a, a client in the retail space. And pre-COVID, um, a successful business in its own right, but nowhere near as successful as it could be. And I was brought in to help the team transition from a team that functioned but never flourished. Um, at best operated to the sum of the parts, never more than the sum. So uh, the concerns were working in, in, in silos. There wasn't sufficient trust. Um, there were tensions. There were elephants in the room, the undiscussables. More of what we typically associate with factors that inhibit um, teams transitioning to become high-performing. This, I've been working with this team for, for two, three years. During COVID, they, they, they had to adapt. And the only way they could was to leverage the collective capacity and capability. So much so that they have achieved record turnover and EBITDA in financial year 2021, and they are on record on in in they they are looking to break another record this financial year in June. Now there are many pieces to this, but I put to you the one most significant piece is they shifted from operating as a group of individual leaders to a collaborative leadership team. And where they leaned into, and, and, and here's the thing, Shelley, you know, collaboration has to dance with conflict. Uh, and and you, if we think about collaborating around diversity of thinking, and when they, when they leaned into the space of deeply valuing difference, not judging others' difference of thinking, when they deeply valued, they started seeing the opportunities that came from thinking differently and doing differently. And that was probably the single most important catalyst to, to them transitioning um, their online sales from around 10 to 15% of total revenue to over 50. Mm. 
Um, so I've known, you know, I love that example. And I think many of our listeners will understand that conceptually and they'll get the principles and what's required to do that. And I know there's a massive difference between understanding it and applying it. Yes. How do you deal with that? How do you, what's your approach? This, this, this lends me to just share with you what I speak about in the book, the, the, the five disciplines of high-performing teams. Beautiful. And, you know, I, I, I draw this distinction. Sometimes these distinctions are helpful until they're not. Um, think of a high-performing team as, as an elite athlete. Um, you know, and the distinction between a great and an elite athlete it is not talent. It's, mm. it's discipline. It's the, the discipline around processes, routines, behaviors, commitments that, that serve the, the ultimate objective. So w- would it help if I, if I just share with you what these, these five disciplines em- embody um, mm. and it, it really, what it takes is the uncompromising commitment to, to embed these five disciplines. And, you know, some teams, you know, there, there's, this takes time. It, it takes, a, a, an, you know, again, an un, uncompromising commitment. The, the first of these disciplines is what I call the, the, the discipline to discover and, and what we're discovering is the mandate the team stakeholders have commissioned the team with. And this is, this is one of the key distinctions. In a group of leaders, they determine the mandate. A team knows the mandate their stakeholders have commissioned them with. It's not assumed, it's known. So for what sake, what are our stakeholders look to us for? So that's the, that's the first distinction. The, the second, mm-hmm. second discipline is what I refer to the discipline to declare our, our purpose, the reason for our existence. And in the work of, of Simon Sinek, we know well about like leaders, teams start, teams start from their why, not what. A group starts from what they do. A team starts from why they do it. The, the, the cause they serve greater than themselves the reason they came into existence. Um, and so, so that, that's, and, and I work with these disciplines in the sequence. The, the third discipline is the discipline to design. And, and what I refer to by design is designing our culture, our ways of working, how, how we relate and engage teaming together and apart with, with, with all others. And, and, and here I, I talk about the quality of the, the working relationships, our, our way of being together and our way of doing together. And this is an uncompromising commitment to identified and agreed ways of working. And so that's transitioning from the, the theory of it into the application. Absolutely. 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 Teams rise and fall on the quality of their working relationships. Relationships precede results. To get a better result, we first got to shift 
the quality of the relationship. Yeah. And then we move into the fourth discipline, the discipline to deliver. And that's our results. What, what are those collective performance goals we, we hold ourselves individually and collectively accountable for that we can only achieve working interdependently? And I never fail to be amazed how difficult it is for teams to articulate. In most instances, when I invite team members to articulate the collective performance goals, I very seldom get the same three written by all. Very seldom. They'll tell me what the strategic objectives are, but not the particular goals that they have to work interdependently on. Yeah. The fifth discipline, and, and this is probably the most, the most significant distinction, and it correlates most highly with the probability of teams to transition to flourish, and that is what I refer to the discipline to develop, to learn. The, the, the capacity and the openness for team members to learn with and from one another the responsibility they take for their own and each other's learning, growth, and, and involvement, the, the, the openness to admit to mistakes, to seek feedback, to ask for help, um, is, is profoundly important and most positively correlates. Where teams score highest on this discipline, they are most likely to transition to become high-performing teams. When we look to, when teams look to learning from their successes and individual and, and collective mistakes, when they grow the collective wisdom, teams flourish. So now this journey um, is not easy. It, it requires a deep, deep sense of openness and courage and vulnerability to, to observe themselves individually and collectively. But, but it is so possible once teams give themselves permission to, to be more diligent observers of themselves, it's, it's, it's palpable what, what can happen, the possibilities that, that, that they're infinite when, when teams tr transition to, to, to access more of their collective capacity and capability. And so how does motivation then tie into the five disciplines? You know, you mentioned um, what the work of Dan Pink with autonomy, mastery and purpose. So how does that kind of fit into those? I, I would assume it would be it's a precursor to have that, but does it pop up along the way or does it need to be seen across all elements? How does that kind of work? Yeah, yeah, a, a, a key ingredient. And, and again, I just invite, we look to this, this distinction between motivation and commitment. I, I may be motivated to get fit, but I may not be committed to getting fit. So what I mean by that, commitment is in the doing. Motivation can sometimes be in the intention. Now, Again, uh, so motivation is essential, but you need commitment to pair it with. So would the motivation then drive the discipline? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And by discipline, I mean commitment. Yeah. And that that needs to be personal before it is team. Well, well, absolutely. You know, if we think about it, for, for teams to transition to become, you know, more high-performing, more collaborative, it's because each individual has committed to shift. Each individual is committed to learn and to change. Um, and, and, you know, th- th- this, this happens through individual motivation and collective commitment. So th- that's, you know, th- th- they are the two hands that wash each other, Shelley, motivation. And, mm. and I, I, I do definitely see that. But, but I might be very motivated but it may not come through in, in, in the consistency of my commitment and the discipline I bring uh, to the embedding of these, uh, of these disciplines. Um, so what if my individual motivation doesn't align, like if it's, if it's not conducive to the collective, what do you do with, what do you do if you've got someone in that space where individually they're motivated, but they're motivated by, you know, maybe because of um, the phase of life that they're in might be very self-focused. If you've got someone in that space, how do you, how do you shift the motivation when you've got, you might have the rest of the team being committed to each other, but you might have this one or two outliers. How do you bring them in? Well, I, 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 yes, you, you can't bring them in. You know, we can't change anyone. We, we can only help them see what they may not be seeing. So, so you, you know, th- th- this, is, this is another distinction around in high-performing, flourishing teams, th- there's no such thing as an undiscussable. There's no such thing as an unspoken. Everything is spoken about. So in those instances, now we can't, we can't change the person. We can only help them see the impact they may be having and then help them make a choice because it's up to the individual to choose if they are or are not going to lean into this. And, and, this happens this this happens for for some you know teams I, i've worked with um the, the, not all of the, the the members are are willing for to, to to stay the journey for for a whole host of reasons and one's got to respect that and it's it's yeah. it, it's it's not an inevitability but it's a it's it's a possibility yeah, what I love about what you're saying is that there's no unspoken. It's all, <clears throat> it all comes out in the conversation. And so they are presented with almost, uh, well, this is where we're at and this is where you're at and this is the, the difference. And you get to the self-select on what you do with that. I think that's really powerful. Totally. And, and this is where this discipline five comes in, the discipline to develop, because I take equal responsibility for my own and your success and learning. So I feel, I take it as my responsibility to bring it to you that, Shelley, it looks like you are resisting. There's something happening for you here. It looks like you're avoiding leaning in. 
I'm not sensing you committed to this. Help me understand what's happening for you. Hmm. Those are the conversations we have. Or, or that we probably don't have enough of these days. In fact, that seems like a really big, big talking point for many teams, I'm sure. Well, well, you know, and, and here's the thing, you, you know, is Michael Dell said this, you know, the culture is, is the most competitive advantage any organization can have because it's the only thing a competitor can't copy. And, and when, when organizations commit to create a culture of teamwork, it, 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 is, it is the most sustainable competitive advantage. And, mm. and, you know, if we think about cultures, cultures manifest through conversation. So you want to change the culture, just change the conversation. I love that. And to flourish, and there's more to this, but the, the, what you see shifting, the most evident example and demonstration of a team shifting, just listen to the difference in conversations that now happen. Yeah, actually, and I totally agree with that. In just reflecting on the clients that I'm working with at the moment, where we are talking about um, leading a cultural shift, yeah. it's about the conversations, but it's not just about the big conversations. It's about every single conversation and the alignment between all the little conversations and how that rolls up to the bigger ones and then how that kind of rolls through a team or an organisation. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I come back to, to, to this perspective that teams rise and fall on the quality of their working relationships and, and conversation are one of the eight elements that um, are, are fundamental, uh, mm. fundamental to... Mm, absolutely. Mm. So um, I, have, I have a final question. I feel like we could, we could keep chatting. Um, yeah. There's just, there's, you know, a lot of insights that you've got in the book. You talk a little bit about feedback, but you talk also about this concept of sharing the gifts of one, ones and fives. Are you able to share that with us? Yes, yes. I, I, um, I offer the perspective that on, a, on a, a five point rating scale, you know, what is the most unhelpful the unkindest and the most irresponsible rating you can give anyone on a five-point scale. What would you suggest it be? I would say one. It's a three. It says nothing. Oh, oh it's the middle. It's the fence sitting. It's, it's, it's what I call threes are cowardice. <sighs> They're unhelpful. So the gifts of ones and fives are the gift of one is my gift in deep care of what I'm looking and offering for you to work on to be your best. The gift of five is what I'm offering that you are currently doing that is enabling yours and other success. So keep doing more of it. And now I'm not suggesting it's only ones or five. So, you know, my approach is, is a, a 20, um, a, a bit an assessment of self or other that has 20 indicators. I always mm. invite three gifts, of, at least three gifts of one and at least three gifts of five 
And if they want to throw in a few Cowder's threes, they can. But um, and this is this is you know we talk about you, you know leadership is is a conversation. Um, you know, in in a number of my clients, it's it's th this this language of the gifts of ones and fives is so embedded in their conversational cadence. It's coming to the uh, performance review process, the performance development process, um, mm -hmm. and it's 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 so so powerful because it creates a very safe place to facilitate conversations for learning. Because my gift of one is not a judging your ineffectiveness it is singling to you your 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 potential to learn and become more so your greatest opportunity it's your the ones are your greatest <laughs> opportunity and 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 fives are your greatest strengths which you know, hopefully there, there, there's 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 an appreciation that um you recognize the fives others see in you and and commit to to leverage um, more of whatever the, the particular indicator may suggest. So, gifts of ones and fives are a very powerful way of facilitating powerful learning and and very very powerful conversations for mm. success. Oh, and, and I would say that that is where you really get this the power of the collective over the sum of its parts. Yeah, totally. Totally, um, and when 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 teams give themselves permission, and you know they they excited to to offer and receive the gifts of ones and fives, it's 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 palpable. The learning is infinite. Mm. Things infinite. I love that. There's so much bravery that comes with giving someone. <laughs> well, yeah, there's 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 enormous bravery. In, in flourishing and committing to be sustainably high-performing. It, 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 it takes an enormous amount of, of effort and courage and vulnerability, but, but, but the rewards are, as I say, um, infinite. And so I would say that if you, when you get to that, um, the high-performing team stage that the gifts of ones and fives would be part of your everyday way of working and that would be a really good measure to see that you'd got there every day mm. oh, i love that work towards the gifts yes. of ones ones and fives <laughs> yes, the other thing and i must declare my bias but high a culture of high performing team a culture of teamwork there's no need for engagement surveys because the experience we have being part of that team says it all. Um, I think yeah. let's, let's, it, it, all that matters is, is the experience we have of one another and from one another. And, you know, that's, that's what matters most is, yeah. How do I want to leave this conversation with you feeling, thinking, and doing? Um, mm. you know, not whether my score has gone from 82 to 91. Um, <laughs> I love that. I'm sure you put a few smiles on some people's faces uh, hearing you say that for sure. Yeah. 
Um, Bernard, thank you so much um, for your time today and the conversation. Um, and, you know, if anyone wants to get a copy of the book, um, Team Better Together, um, I'll put the link in the summary section uh, along with a link to connect with Bernard if, you're, uh, if you want to know more. But thank you so much. Um, it's been great having you on. Thank you, Shelley. Love, lovely to speak with you and look forward to when we next uh, speak together. Fabulous. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I look forward to another Dynamic Leader conversation with you soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.